Welcome one and all, I'm Chris Stone, the Virtual Agile Coach, and this is the Virtually Agile Podcast, the pod that shares conversations with Agile thought leaders, as well as amplifying newer voices. You'll hear about agility, virtual working, and everything in between. If you find value in listening, don't forget to follow or subscribe on your platform of choice. It is the very best way to hear about the latest episodes as they land. Enjoy the show. Uh, fellow Agilists, today, uh, in the latest installment of what has evolved into the Virtually Agile videocast, uh, the series which will share conversations with Agile thought leaders as well as amplifying newer voices. And today's guest is one of those newer voices. He was recommended by Steve Wells a few weeks ago. So there we go, Steve. How's that for listening to the customer? Andreas Worm calls himself a specializing generalist, which is just a beautiful oxymoron there. He's an experienced product owner, back-end engineer, and test automation engineer. So by far and away, more talented than I, because I am completely non-technical. And when I look at the code, it looks like the matrix to me, just a bunch of ones and zeros. So Andreas, welcome to the show. And first and foremost, how are you today? I'm uh, fine. Uh, totally, totally fine. A little bit stressed as usual. I'm just starting in the new team and getting to know uh, the people and the tools and the technologies and uh, all the information and what's out there. Um, yeah. Sure. And we were talking about this earlier. I, I reflected on how, for me, the, the starting point of working with a new team or company is probably the most exciting time for me because I love learning about the new people, how things are going, what the challenge will be. Um, but at the same time, it can be a bit of a an information overload, kind of. You're you're just loads of things are chucked at you that you've got to then absorb like some sort of sponge. Challenging times. Yeah, it's not like about the not even the technical information. Also, like meeting meeting when you, when you're like a freelancer coming to always a team that's already present. You're you're meeting like 15 new people, and you really have to you know you have to work closely together yeah. in the next few months. Um, that's a bit uh, stressful. <laughs> <laughs> so, Andreas, tell us a little bit more about yourself. What makes you tick? What makes me tick? Yeah. Well, um, makes me tick. That's a that's a weird question. Um, I don't know. Um, that's really. Uh, I'm I'm going with the flow. I think um, I'm discovering things and I'm fi- I find things interesting, and I pursue them. And uh, yeah, um, that's uh, how I how I, do, how I do my life. Um, All right. So just 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 being being open to opportunities and to to information and to thoughts and uh, um, yeah, ways of of living and mm. uh, yeah, just see what what sticks. It's a, it's a great, great approach, I think. And just, just digging a little bit deeper there. So when I, when I say what makes you tick, I'm trying to understand what, what drives you, what motivates you, what, what do you geek out over, what excites you, that sort of thing. Um, I would say it's like the feeling of, of being useful, of doing something good. Okay. Um, I don't know when... I had this talk before um, when we when we talk about the I don't know here mastery autonomy and purpose uh, mm-hmm. of, of of workers and purpose I guess is a big. Um, I, could, I could grab the book. It's literally over there on my shelf. Sure. Dan Pink's Drive, <laughs> one of my yeah, favorites. Really, uh, yeah. So yeah, purpose is the thing. When when you can convince me that this product is uh, really useful, then I will be be motivated and engaged, and uh, will bring it forward. Sure, and obviously as a, a product owner, one of the roles that you fulfill, uh, that that sometimes, well, that should theoretically fall to you to be the person inspiring people to say, right, this is the product, 
This is what it's about. This is why it's important. You're representing the vision for that product. One of the things I was keen uh, to discuss with you was, and it was based on one of your, your articles on LinkedIn, you were talking about kind of being open to your own failures and where you may have made mistakes in the past with a certain engagement or project or, or contract. And I've always loved people who are very open about that sort of thing, who, are, who aren't afraid of embracing failure as a learning opportunity and being open to, to sharing, sharing lessons, sharing mistakes, almost retrospecting with yourself. I do this all the time. So the question I have for you is, how do you encourage others that you work with to be open to sharing their own failures, to, to embracing that same sort of attitude? I'm, ooh, that's, uh, I, I don't approach people and say, hey, come, let's, let's, let's uh, put it out in the open what you did here. Um, I guess it's more like a, um, leading by example, right? Sure. More like a cultural cultural team thing of okay we we come together we are um in a safe space where we can just um admit that we did something dumb and we can maybe um yeah blame blame each other a bit and laugh about it a bit but uh like um in the end we are like still a team and and we we fix it together and everybody makes mistakes so mm. there's really no need to push anybody i guess when you're when there's like some kind of cultural thing um where there's just is allowed and happens. Sure, I mean, I think the powerful thing I, I, I heard you mention there was leading by example. You know, being being maybe the first person to share a mistake of your own, admitting to it, demonstrating that vulnerability, and then I guess inviting others to share their experience as well, but treating it with the vein of humor, um, focusing on oh, we can laugh about this, we can move forward. It's not about blame. It's about hey, we all, we all make mistakes, we all we all fuck up. It's okay, don't worry we can learn from it. It's a learning opportunity, not something to blame or get frustrated with people about. So leading by example, sounds like one of your methods for creating that safe space you refer to. Does that seem fair? Sounds, sounds fair, but to be, to be honest, I, um, for the last two or three years, I'm, I'm working as a freelancer in, in different teams. So I didn't have the opportunity to really build a team space that way okay you know if you know what i mean um so i just have to <laughs> just can only come in and be myself <laughs> and uh yeah. well i mean that's that's another again powerful thing i i feel and i was I've, I've talked to a number of other guests about this same sort of thing is being being yourself bringing your whole self to work and not being afraid of, of having this separate work persona Kind of just being who you are in the workplace openly and again by by leading by example in that way as well you can create a sense of ease and comfort and and that in itself can encourage people to demonstrate the same sort of behaviors right even if you are an external person a consultant coming in yeah okay so you you mentioned to me uh something that you were keen to discuss. And that was around retrospectives. You know, I love retrospectives. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, you were talking about why, why people don't learn from retrospectives. So what are your thoughts here? Why do you think people don't learn from retrospectives? Can, can I ask you a question? You absolutely I... may, please do, please do. <laughs> um, in your experience, do people learn better when you're um, keeping retrospectives really 
uh, interesting and fresh and like you do like always having a new theme every week uh, you can you can explore and you can uh, yeah build around so in my experience of this and i do retrospectives a lot right so i do them all yeah. the time multiple teams some i've done like four retrospectives in a day before um my experience of doing it is that particularly in the digital virtual world we are in today and particularly given that a lot of teams have gotten into that habit of just going oh what what are we sad about what are we mad about what are we glad about this just repetitive stale way of doing things yep. it can become very easy to disconnect to switch off to stop caring to mention the same things uh, to be frustrated because you're mentioning the same things uh, you've then got the fact that digitally uh, you've got all these distractions. You, know, you can get a, a message on Slack. You can get an email that comes through. You might be looking at another tab on your desktop. Whereas when you're face to face, that's kind of rude. You can't you can't do that. It's it's, it's harder um, to allow yourself to be distracted because you're all together. They're there together in the moment. Now, doing these styled themed retrospectives, uh, in my experience, they're more immersive. They bring people in together. They make it a bit fun, which helps it become easier to remain connected. They're shorter and sharper, which means people get less distracted. And I don't know if it's just the energy that I bring to it. It tends to keep people engaged. And as a consequence, actions come out of those retrospectives that are then taken on, improved upon. And then I get people saying, oh, looking forward to your next retrospective. Or, you know, they, they end up looking forward to those meetings as opposed to in the past where it might just be, oh, it's a retrospective again, can't be bothered, you know? So... In my experience, yes. And the feedback that I get from others, you know, I get messages on a daily basis now, pretty much from someone saying, did this retrospective, it worked really well, big fan of these, you know, keep doing what you're doing, we love it. Can you, can we have this one? Can we have that one? The fact that that's happening tells me that people like it. It wouldn't, if it wasn't working, I wouldn't get those messages back. So mm -hmm. that I feel answers your question, at least in my experience. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. I'm I'm used to very dry retrospectives, and I'm usually fine with that. Um, when you when you keep it short and uh, uh, um, yeah, goal oriented. But I totally see the appeal of having like um, like the another 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 um, opportunity to connect as a team and to connect with the persons and having fun together, which yeah. is as you said in the remote working. Um, you have to, yeah, you have to take care about that to, to really, to have that or you don't have it. Well, um, in, in my experience, people that are having fun often produce better results at work anyway. If they're enjoying the experience, they're, they're likely to produce better outcomes. Now, just because it's got a theme, this retrospective, just because it's got a theme doesn't mean it's got a, hasn't got a business outcome. The, the, the outcomes are still correct. They're just metaphorically applied. So when a traditional retrospective might say, what are we sad about or what didn't go well? You could have a Queen rock band theme retrospective where it says, I want to break free. And it's kind of what's holding us back. What's shackling us? What's what's stopping us from progressing? What are, what are the impediments in our path? That will still drive the same outcome. You will still identify things that are holding the team back. It's just done in a slightly different way. It's worded slightly differently. Just like if you were in a daily stand up with a team and you ask them what blockers or impediments they have and they go, oh, no blockers. But then if you rephrase that question slightly and say, what support do you need? What help could you be provided? They might say, well, actually, I could do a bit of help on this. Does anyone have any time? Just the slight rephrasing of a question produces a very different outcome. So just because the, the retrospectives I do have themes and they're a bit more fun and different and out there doesn't mean they don't have a, a business outcome and a goal. 
that drives improvement. If, if there were no improvements coming out of the retrospectives, I wouldn't create them. They'd be pointless. Yeah, I've seen uh, I've seen different different uh, outcomes where really the I don't know the prescribed way of yeah take at least one thing and do it. Um, it turns out fine and it's great. Um, but I've also seen like um, managers interfering, like oh wait 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 before you put any 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 improvements into the sprint, please uh, run them by me. Um, sure. <laughs> and uh, I've seen. Um, I don't know, one, 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 uh, one memory is, is still in my mind where the team was like um, really excited because for the first time in, in forever, they, they managed to finish everything in the sprint because they um, deliber deliber deliberately um, choose different uh, less items to put in the sprint. Sure. And at the end, retrospectives they were all celebrating and had such a good feeling of oh it's, it's awesome we, we really were we really we, we, we could finish this is great this is yeah. fun uh next sprint planning they really they, they put i don't know a lot more in than they than they should have and um i stood up and said don't you see why two days ago you told me it's great you, you to, to finish to finish a sprint and now you're putting in more than you can actually do in a sprint again. Why? And well, again, this is this is a benefit of retrospectives, right? You've you've just shown there in two two different scenarios, the end of two different sprints, the outcome was in the first situation they were happy. We finished things. We finished everything. The next one, oh, we put in too much. Oh, it's, that's frustrating because as you know, things that don't get done and get pulled into the next iteration or sprint. You don't get that catharsis, that joy from closing something down because we like to finish things. That's why it's why when you have a to-do list and you get to check things off, it feels good. There's a little buzz of endorphins or serotonin or some sort of I think it's dopamine, a dopamine chemical in your brain says, yes, I've achieved something. That's wonderful. When you don't achieve that, you don't get that hit of enjoyment and that's frustrating. And, and what you've highlighted there for two examples is that happiness, okay, not quite as happy. What you need is sustainable pace. And that was the team learning what their sustainable pace is. So hopefully, yeah, because, what what, did, what was the outcome the next time? Did they did they go they back did, to? They didn't finish everything because yeah, they, and just because you put in more doesn't mean things get uh, done faster. Um, and yeah, that was it's still in my mind because it's that was one of the one of the um, instances where I really would have liked some support from the present scrum master mm -hmm. to, to uh, yeah to notice that and also support that. Um, I don't know why this wasn't happening. Well, interesting. Okay. So the other things I was keen to talk about, and this is going to be more your area of expertise than mine, but I know you're a big believer in, in quality, the value of testing. What to you is the most important thing when it comes to building in quality and good testing values into the way teams work? That was usual having a conversation first okay, yeah having the conversation <laughs> so anyway there's there are a few different um ideas and beliefs and uh, definitions of quality uh and and testing around and yeah when, when, I, when we say we want to build a quality product we should yeah firstly talk about what everyone defines as quality and what is good enough quality and how do we um, how do we ensure that? Um, 
I'm a big fan of games, so I, I can I can shout out to uh, Baron Van Dele, uh, Dele uh, with this risk, risk storming game. So this is like one. So one way to talk about quality and testing is to mitigate risk, right? So that's maybe what are our biggest risks. Mm -hmm. So um, this would be one way of, of addressing that and coming to some kind of um, yeah agile test plan or yeah some processes and artifacts. How do we yeah how do we address this risk? Then mm -hmm. I don't know. Talk about feedback loops and and uh, how do we want to deal with um, unexpected uh, issues and um, yeah. So I love that you've touched on games there. I'm a big believer in games. I, I use agile games as a teaching method all the time. And I, I run a, a, a week or a, a twice monthly meetup called the Agile Arcade, where other practitioners come and we play agile games for a purpose, obviously to teach agile concepts. Uh, there's a game that I, I played face to face with a team when I was working at a previous client and it was called 99 Test Balloons. And it was all around, like, like the German song 99, um, I think I've pronounced that right. It might be very wrong. But uh, 99 red balloons. <laughs> Sorry, didn't mean to ruin the language there. I don't speak German. I can remember the German word for castle, Schloss. And that's about oh. it. Yeah, that's about yeah. it. Ah. <laughs> anyway, I digress. Uh, 99 test balloons was all about uh, the importance of acceptance criteria. And you're essentially getting a team to create basically balloons with, with faces and, and string for hair and things like that. And the idea is they're trying to produce them to a, a set criteria. And if they're not to the criteria, they get popped, it's like a defect. And it's just a way of getting them to build in good testing practices, right? We've built the first one now, how do we make it so that the rest of them are gonna follow and, and it's building in quality. So I love using Agile Games as a teaching concept. Big, big fan of that. What I also liked what you were saying there was just about the importance of having a shared understanding, that shared definition of what quality is. Now it's interesting because you, especially as a, as an external consultant, you might come into a, a new client and you might say, right, what does quality mean to you? And they might say, oh, it means this because they've worked in this way. But another person in the same team might say, oh, it means this because I've worked from another company before and this is what quality means. And everyone will have this different shared understanding of what quality is. Just like when you go into a company and speak about Agile, someone might have read a book on Agile. You ask them to put their hand up if they've read a book about Agile. Someone might have worked in Agile before. Someone might have done a course on Agile. Someone might have never worked in Agile. But then even then when you dig deeper, they might say, oh, I worked with Safe. I worked with Kanban. I worked with Scrum. I worked with XP. I worked with all these different flavors of agility. And having a shared understanding of what Agile means to them in the same way, what testing or quality means to you is, is so important. So one of the first things I always do when I'm working with any new team, client, company, is try and get everyone to have a shared understanding as what we're talking about. Because if everyone says quality, but in quality to them, it means something different, you're all gonna be heading off in the wrong direction. Yep. Really important. So I love, great bit of feedback there. How about your, how has your experience been with the whole conversion to this virtual world? So the, the pandemic struck, everyone had to transition very quickly to working remotely. What was that experience like for you? Well, <laughs> um, uh, I was like, then when the first wave hit here in Germany, I was like eight months without a project. So, and uh, really without a team. Mm -hmm. And that was like the 
yeah, what, what bugged me the most was the human interaction. Like you don't, it's, it's, uh, we, we're coming back to the purpose, right? When, when uh, I'm, 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 a lot of my life's purpose is my work. Mm -hmm. um, well, I said, I said at some point, like uh, every, every uh, sufficiently pleasant work is indistinguishable from games. Um, but yeah, that's a huge part of my, of my world. And so like not having um, a team building something together, co cooperating on something, uh, was really was really bad, um, and then after that, just the whole remote setup is not so fulfilling. It may be better when you have like really a, a bunch of people which which worked together before and are now uh, forced into their homes and <laughs> have to deal with that. But they know each other and and uh, hang out uh, after the uh, office hours also. Um, but this whole contracting and coming, uh, everyone being remote, maybe in uh, time zones, uh, like three hour, four hour difference and not having any interaction at all outside of, um, let's, let's uh, speak about this back. Um, it's not that, yeah, it's not that fulfilling. Yeah. It's right. that much fun. But so after you had the, some time where you weren't working, you were lacking a bit of purpose, which I can completely appreciate must've been really frustrating. I'm a huge, well, I'm, I'm a person who needs purpose myself. Otherwise, again, you tend to have a bit of a lack of direction in things. But after that period and you started working again, there must have been some learnings that you have discovered, some some ways that you've made the virtual working work for, for you and perhaps your teams. And, are, and as a consequence, is there anything that you would share or what tips would you share to enable teams to work successfully despite the fact they aren't face-to-face? Yeah, after after um, like in the in, when we started uh, when I started next project, then um, I really started to to insist more on pair programming, okay. which is really really um, when you're not um, so much focused on one task and you 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 take your time and have some some human conversations as well. Um, this is really great. This is really great for for learning and for for getting things done. Uh, yeah, getting to know uh, the other a bit um, and, and having fun building something together. So you're not like uh, you're one person feature factory working from home, um, but really building something together. So I can yeah. really recommend uh, pairing. That's like one. Okay. I... A bunch of tools out there to, to make it work. And I would, I would suggest you keep your camera on and have a second monitor. Not, not everybody can do that, sure. But um, but you're, but you're, what you're, you're, I guess what you're, you're leveraging there is that that team togetherness. It's it's taking yourself from feeling maybe a bit like a Jira ticket machine where you're just waking up in the morning and grabbing one ticket and moving it for a workflow. But actually, no, I'm pairing on this together and we're doing this in collaboration, and we're, I guess, uniformly working towards a, a shared goal. That can be quite motivating, empowering, uh, and obviously you mentioned the the face to face, the time for personal interaction really, really key. I know right now a lot of people are struggling because they've lost those water cooler chats, the, the little coffees together in the in the little kitchen, the, the walk on the way to a meeting room. We don't have any of that, those sorts of things. The hello you say as you get into the office and ask how someone's day was. We're not, we're not getting any of that. And it can be very much meeting, 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 and not having the time for those personal conversations. So actually what I, what I do myself is I'm a huge believer in making the first five minutes of any meeting focus purely on non-work focused chat. 
And there's lots of ways to do that. There's stuff you can do random icebreakers. You can ask everyone to share what animal legs, if they could have any animal legs in the world and why. That's a question to you, by the way. What animal legs would you have, Andreas? <laughs> and I'm, I'm thinking about like uh, some kind of um, predator bird claws. Uh, like an eagle? An albatross? Yeah, a dinosaur? A, di a dinosaur? A velociraptor? <laughs> Did you know that from a dinosaur perspective, we, uh, the, the, the iPhone is closer in timeline to the Tyrannosaurus Rex than the Tyrannosaurus Rex is to the Stegosaurus. They existed millions and millions of years apart, and the iPhone is closer, chronologically speaking, to the T-Rex than the T-Rex was to the Stegosaurus. Uh-huh. Interesting. Wow. <laughs> Didn't know that. Random fact for you. But these are the sorts of things that can come out from personal interaction and icebreakers. Mm -hmm. So I, I make time for these. I build a lot of my retrospective templates. I build an icebreaker into it just to make it a little bit fun, a little bit silly. Because if we don't have that, again, you don't form the same bonds with people. You don't form the same accountability for your results. Because unfortunately, um, particularly where you haven't maybe shaken someone's hand or sat down having a beer with them or that sort of thing, there, there can be a bit of a disconnect and you can just think of them as a name behind a screen, an avatar, rather than a beating heart behind a laptop. And this is why personal interaction is so important. Yeah, it's not, not, not only like the, the good parts, right? Not only about having fun and having, having a laugh, it's uh, also like having space to share your problems, to, to say, oh, boy, my, my tape was terrible. My child was screaming all day long. And yeah. my wife was... <laughs> well, yeah, that's also a part of, of the human interaction. Mm. Interesting. Thanks for sharing. So uh, I have a further question for you. Now, I tend to ask this, and this is this is to any agile professional, any anyone leading agility, anyone working with an agile team, anyone wanting to champion uh, a movement towards agility. What would, what would be one piece of advice you would offer those people in order to move in that direction? You can't do it alone. You need you need uh, you need uh, alliances. You need you need allies. And if the if the percentage of of, of people is yeah, you need the critical mass. I think right. And if everybody is just resistant and you you just aren't able to show them a brighter future, um, yeah, then you just you have to to I don't accept defeat. And uh, then this is just not your audience. <laughs> <laughs> It's interesting that, isn't it? Accepting defeat. I, I'm really bad at accepting defeat. I don't, I don't want to accept defeat. I want to, I want to, no, I don't, it's not that I want to prove people wrong. I just want to demonstrate value, demonstrate improvement. And I think for me, that the biggest way I tend to do that is start where people are. Right? You, can't, you can't come in with some predetermined, you must be this flavor of agile. Start with understanding where people are. Listen to them, understand their pain, their frustrations, their challenges. And then ultimately encourage experimentation, a small experiment, a quick feedback loop, let them see results and then go from there. I think the, the, the reluctance, the resistance to change can often come from possibly they've seen or heard of agile being done bad in the past, or there might've been a previous transformation attempt that didn't go at work very well. They might've had a bad experience with agile. 
Um, but also it's this resistance to change because humans, evolutionarily speaking, we're designed to seek equilibrium. We don't want to change. We, we, we want comfort. You know, if you're hungry, you eat food. If you're cold, you put something warm on. We seek this comfortable state and change isn't natural for us. We don't really like it. So it's, I guess it's acknowledging that change is uncomfortable, but it's okay. Start with something small, embed a quick feedback loop in it so you learn quickly and then just let people see results and go from there and then encourage the next experiment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good recommendation. <laughs> now, I always ask this question of every guest and it's become a bit of a, a bit of a favorite. People have started to come up with some really weird and wacky ones for me. Oh, I know. They're making, you know what's coming. They're making those really awkward questions. So I've got a question for you and it's all about retrospectives. What themed retrospective would you add to my backlog for me to create, Andreas? Yeah, I've, I've, I've heard uh, last time you were saying it should be some kind of niche and uh, some kind of uh, still relatable, maybe. Um, so I thought about maybe do a dungeon crawl or do some kind of uh, Dungeons and Dragons related dungeon dungeon crawl retrospective. Interesting. Okay. Uh, that, that sounds very game-like. I can imagine dice involved, like the many-sided dice, uh, roll, rolling for initiative, going on a quest and a journey and characters and, all right, I've got some ideas. I've got some thinking to do. That sounds like it's going to be elaborate. And I've never played Dungeons and Dragons in my life, so I need to learn a few things. Uh, I need to, I might need to seek some outside counsel from someone I know who plays Dungeons and Dragons to teach me some basics. It mustn't be Dungeons and Dragons, but uh, you can you can uh, focus on the dungeon crawl element. Maybe you you, you can. I, I don't know. Do you have a concept of what a dungeon crawl is? I don't okay, know. Can... Tell me more about it. <laughs> well, uh, um, are you familiar with roguelikes? It was what? Sorry. Roguelikes, like the game Rogue, um, Rogue. where you have like. Okay, never mind. Okay, dungeon okay. crawl is about uh, usually when you it's about like having yeah like you said some kind of labyrinthian structure some some uh, multi-leveled uh, deep in the underground whatever it's there's a space there are challenges and there's uh, some kind of big bad end boss ah, in the end yes and treasures so, along the way and uh, fight monsters and, i'm imagining uh, i'm imagining like world of warcraft where you go on a raid yeah. you go on a raid right? yeah, exactly. exactly you go on a raid yeah. and you encounter lots of smaller monsters on the way and you fight those mm -hmm. off and then there's a point where you've got to fight a big bad boss mm -hmm. and as you go through the levels you you might find items you might learn things um and then ultimately you'll work together demonstrate teamwork to defeat the big bad boss does that make sense? Mm -hmm. All yeah, right. All right. Sounds like a fun retrospective to create. I will, I will get right on that. <laughs> looking, looking forward to, to use that at some point. <laughs> I'm sure it'll be good. Okay. Well, I think that's, that's the end of the show, Andreas. It's been really great to have you on board. Thank you for being part of the Virtually Agile video yeah, cast. Thanks, thanks a lot for having me here. Thank you for sharing your, your advice, your, your guidance all about retrospectives, learning, testing, among other things. It's been a pleasure. Have a great day. You too. All right. Bye now. You've just listened to another episode of the Virtually Agile podcast. Don't forget to check out www.thevirtualagilecoach.co.uk for one of the largest collections of free templates on the web on all things agile. If this show provided value, I'd love your support by following or subscribing on your platform of choice. See you folks next time.